This is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Numa Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark. This podcast. <laughs> We're not running a book, David. Oh. <laughs> this is audiobook, chapter chapter thirty seven. Audiobook, chapter thirty seven. Jacob's pit. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. I just lost my notes. Well, we'll see you next time. <laughs> this was a short episode. Just uh, recapping, we ended kind of talking about uh, Hebron and Kiriath Arba. What was the other one? Dothan. Dothan and Shechem. Shechem. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to, I had a little bit left. I was going to talk about Jacob's pit, but I was also like texting you over the week saying, are we talking about Judah? Judah. Yeah. And I wasn't going to, I was going to skip over that chapter, but when I got into some stuff, cause I was like, I'm going to see if, if there's something here. And I start <laughs> reading some, some of the rabbinic commentary about it. It's like, oh, this shouldn't be shit. Uh, s- <laughs> this shouldn't be skipped. It should be put in place like it is put in place. Yeah, I was wondering why it just took a break from Joseph, put Jude in there, and then came back almost like a intermission. All right, we'll be back with the story in yeah, just a few we're moments. we're talking about Jude if y'all want to get him to go to the bathroom or something for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come back to Joseph's story in 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jacob's Pit. Why did I write Jacob's Pit? I just said that. wrote it. <laughs> it's been in my notes since last week. Let me fix that because... It's Joseph's Pit. <laughs> Jacob didn't. Well, we don't think Jacob dug the pits. He could have. Who knows? So it could be uh, Jacob's pit. But yeah. it's Joseph's pit because he was in the pit. Yeah. Yeah. He's not possessive of the pit. He's just there. So they saw him from afar. That's where the uh, firemen were. From. <laughs> afar? They just came from afar. <laughs> and before he came. Hmm. Surely somebody's heard that before. I haven't. That's more like my mom and dad generation joke. I've never heard that before. So <laughs> I've heard it a hundred times. <laughs> That's the kind of corn stuff my dad comes out with. Uh, he's uh, he was always like a uh, uh, oldies, like in the fifties, kind of oldies one liner guy. He would just as we were kids, he would just sing some one line of some song, so you grew up knowing that one line and nothing else. Oh, my my dad always had that little southern accent. I and. I remember I was talking to a friend, and, and I th- I came up with a redneck word. You know how Jeff Foxworthy does yeah. the redneck words? I came up with a redneck word. It's tower. He's like, tower? I'm like, yeah. Now, I'll be with you about tires. About two two hours. hours, towers. <laughs> or you could be two tires, either one. <laughs> two tires. Two, tire, two tires. I'll buy some tires, please. <laughs> tires. Beetle Bailey one time, that little cartoon should be in the, it probably still is in the Sunday paper. Uh, his his sergeant told him if he got any flats to put flares on the front, both in front and back bumper. <laughs> and it shows him later on another frame or two, he gets flat tires on his Jeep and he puts flares on the front bumper <laughs> and the back bumper, not flares. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what are we talking about? Joseph's pit. Joseph's pit, yes. <laughs> they saw him from afar, this is his brothers, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what what becomes of his dreams. So this 
kind of reminded me, so I, I go right over to uh, Matthew 21. It reminds me of a parable Jesus told about himself. I forwarded you my notes, right? You didn't read everything, in mind, so it's a I didn't. pressure to you. <laughs> I mostly read. Things you sent me. <laughs> I mostly read your notes to kind of see the beginning of where your notes started and then kind of see where you kind of ended yeah. off with, and then I just. <laughs> so it didn't matter. Yeah. So uh, Matthew 21 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and he did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants, when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. So I just throw that out because they they're kind of sitting there. This is something I've been seeing more and more through through Joseph though. Is we see Joseph as a Jesus picture. Yeah. The brothers are Israel. The brothers literally. All right. And then later on, figuratively, they are representatives of who the the, the nation Pharisees were, which get called in the Gospels get called the Jews. Not like they're all not Jews, but called them the Jews. And right. Specifically the the main leaders. So, any ideas, comments on that? It's kind of interesting how the parable kind of overlaps a little bit. I was That's when I was reading like when I was reading the uh, about Joseph and the brothers. Uh, you know, my mind went to the prodigal son, but it didn't really work <laughs> because you know Joseph uh, was sold, and then the son was kind of gone and then he returned to the father and but the father returned to joseph so it didn't really work out too well but that's where my mind went so i was like well there's nothing there cool sweet i tried thinking something and then the thought didn't work so uh i moved on to reuben well let, let me go back let me go with the pit real quick um verse 20 it just says let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits um, that, again, we already kind of talked about the pits, but um, I wrote down the question, why do they hate Joseph so much that they want to kill him and throw him in the pit? And I wrote down two reasons. Uh, one, the dreams were not a bunch of fairy tale thoughts, but they um, they thought there was some weight and truth to the possibility of the dreams being from God. Um, or the second is the jealousy that, you know, uh, Jacob loved Joseph and took his affection, took their father's affection. Um, and, you know, you have like Cain um, jealous that God accepted Abel's sacrifice right. and, and ended up killing his brother. So I'm a put. So as I was thinking about these things, um, the second makes more sense about, you know, they want to kill him because of the jealousy to, you know, um, rid the, the chosen child or rid of the favorite. But based on the context of the rest of the verses, it's about the dreams because um, they say, here comes the dreamer. Yeah. And they say, we will see what will become of his dreams um, when they talk about killing him. So the context is they're killing him because of the dream he shared with them. Um, <laughs> yeah. They, they, even when they're trying to plan on what they're going to do with his, 
his uh, robe and stuff. They're not really considering Jacob's love. No. No. Yeah. Um, killing him. Killing him seems a bit extreme just by hearing. A dream, you know, it's like, hey, I have a dream. Hey, I had a dream the other night, and we were driving in a Mercedes, and... And you weren't. Yeah, and you weren't. <laughs> oh, I'm going to kill you, you <laughs> savager. I was driving, you know, Mercedes, and you were driving a, a 1964 Ford pickup truck. And it's like, oh. Yeah, and I had, like, a bunch of women around me, and you just had nothing, so... Yeah. Yeah, you were taking trash. <laughs> Yeah. So, so there's. Your wife was there, but she had no teeth. <laughs> and rollers in her hair. Oh, the dream. Stop <laughs> the dream. So, you know, and, you know, when you hear that kind of dream, it's not like you're going to kill somebody. It creates that much hate. So, um, again, I think they hated him so much because. Um, of the possibility that God really is speaking to him, these dreams are—they have more weight than just a normal dream. Yeah. Uh, kind of going back to Dothan, um, kind of circling this Dothan, okay. Dothan, whatever. Yeah. Um, we we, again, we talked about it last week. I'm just rehashing it based on what I just said about the reason why they're killing him. Um, Joseph cried out here in Dothan, uh, Genesis 42:21. And Elisha found himself, like I talked about last week, surrounded by God's chariots, Second Kings chapter 6. So we have God revealing himself to Joseph and Elisha in Dothan. Um, he displayed his hidden self, basically, to Elisha and Joseph. So if you go back to that whole meaning where, you know, the pictogram and the numeric meaning of Dothan, the, pict- the pictographic meaning was life will come through a doorway of the covenant. We don't know who's behind the doorway. We just know life is going to come through the doorway. Uh, the numeric is in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all creation. Um, you know, like I said, you know, God was with Elisha, and he didn't see it until he opened Elisha's eyes and he saw the chariots. So God was hidden, um, present but hidden. Um, with Joseph, he was present but hidden. I mean, he kept him, He kept Joseph alive. He protected him. Yeah. He orchestrated it. So um, though he was present, he was hidden in both actions. Can I sidetrack you possibly? Sure. Did you happen to do your... Your numeric searching and make a sentence for the name of the town at Naim. I didn't. Which means double springs. Hmm. Two wells, double springs. I'm just looking at you're saying Dothan means, uh, it means two wells, but the sentence would be life comes through the door. Uh, Judah, uh, see, I was, I got into that because of the, you know, in chapter 38 where Judah's going down to, his wife is already passed away, done his morning time, and his daughter-in-law tomorrow goes and sits by the well, mm-hmm. or the spring, in Naim, on the way to Timnah. So she's actually by the spring, more, a little more important than Timnah, I, I almost skipped over the name completely, didn't even notice it, but it means double spring. i just wondering if you had a, we might need to look it up right quick and... When we get there, I'm just interested yeah. in how it overlays. Okay. But the, I guess the thing that sparked my mind that that might be linked right there is because if, if life comes through the door, the the letter for door or a word for door is Dalit, mm-hmm. the D. Dalit in the middle of the name of Yahweh, if you put it right, down, right smack dab in the middle of, of that, it becomes Judah's name. 
hmm. Yehuda, but it's got exactly Yahweh's name with a, a dalet in the middle of it. So hmm. the door in the middle is praise is the door to Yahweh hmm. in a way. That's interesting. I didn't know that. We'll, we'll see when we get there. Yeah. Um, it may not work. <laughs> but it might. Uh, so I just said, you know, the hidden God makes himself known uh, to Elisha the chariots, to Joseph, again, rescuing and preparing for the salvation of Israel, even though they didn't know it. And even to earth, he came in the form of Jesus. And now to the rest of the world who never met Jesus, it's us because we have the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. God continually reveals his hidden self through a manifestation, to, through a physical um, appearance or a physical instrument or whatever. Yeah. Um, so so that, I just wanted to kind of throw it out there about the pit and Dothan revisiting. Dothan, Dothan. Dothan, the crazy place of Dothan. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to correct where I wrote Jacob's pit with the word, the name Joseph and for some reason, when I type his name, it comes out spelled all kind of ways. I can't hardly ever get it right. <laughs> all right, Ruben's so, mandrakes. Ru- Ruben. I went back to his mandrakes for a second there. Okay. <laughs> Go to his mandrakes. <laughs> and the reason we're going back to Ruben is, uh, let's see, what verse is it in chapter 37 where he comes into play? About 22... Well, let's start at 20, where they say, Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. Then we will say that the fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued them him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast men in this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, and of the robe of many colors that he wore and they took him and cast him into a pit the pit was empty and there was no water into it or in it so that's Reuben's part there uh, I guess also skip down 29 when Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in the pit this after he's been lifted out and sold he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said the boy is gone and where and I where shall I go I just Consider this more like, why does Reuben care that much about Joseph? Reuben's, number one, Reuben was firstborn. Yeah. He's the one that laid with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Yeah, and uh, let's see. Reuben's mandrakes, according to their superstitions, may have assisted in Joseph's birth. Huh. So he may feel some kind of kinship to this particular brother, like he always had something to do with his existence coming huh. in. But uh, I, I just suggest him after, really more likely, after he had been with Bilhah. I don't know when he knew that his father knew about it. His father knew about it. Right. I don't know when he learned that his father knew about it. But he obviously had some guilt. Yeah. And didn't want to add to this animosity between him and his father by also getting rid of his, or being part of getting rid of his favorite son. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thought I wrote down that Reuben seemed to have more of an even temper than the rest of his brothers because he was like the rational one. Guys, you know, these guys are ready to kill him. And he, you know, gets Joseph, hey, guys, no, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to throw him in the pit. Um, so he either seems more wise or, um, again, he's thinking about other things. Um, 
I did put that um, because Reuben slept with Billa, he was out of Jacob's favor. And so his actions, if Jacob found out what happened, then Reuben would pretty much probably wouldn't ever get favor from Jacob ever again. He'd be pretty much vanished. His life would be ruined. But if he saves Jacob from his brothers, Mm -hmm. then he'll might gain favor. Yeah, I I went right up to that door, but I didn't go through it. That was good. (laughs) So either ruined or or restored. So um, maybe maybe Reuben was hoping that this would help. You got a third R word? Because, I mean, you're thinking like a preacher there. (laughs) Reuben? (laughs) Reuben ruined or restored. (laughs) (laughs) So that's good. (laughs) Judah, though, is another one that tries to save him. What's Judah's deal? Well, he's Judah. Let's see. Verse 25. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, because they like to chew gum. (laughs) You know know how camels are about spitting. Uh, Bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our own hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Let's see. And Judah's kind of out of the story until chapter 38. Mm-hmm. So what you got on Judah? I just think Judah actually showed up to save him out of a true, a true Yeah, it seemed like he was kindness. more genuine. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have an ulterior motive. Yeah, I put down a few verses later in, in Genesis, in chapter uh, 43 and 44, um, basically Judah protecting his brothers, and um, I'll just read one verse, 43, uh, I don't know actually where the verse starts, because I only wrote down one verse. Um So, uh, verse 3 says, but Judah said to him, him being... Um, Joseph. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, the man, uh, but Judah said to him, "The man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother's with you.'" Talking about his father, um, I'm just gonna kind of skip to verse nine. Uh, so Judah is saying, "I will be a pledge of his safety, um, his brother. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we have not delayed, we will, we would uh, now have returned twice." So. Judah's kind of like a protector of his family. He's putting himself out there, putting his name um, out there. So he seems to be like a genuine guy who really cares for his family and loves them. Which is he the one that stayed as a captive for? I don't think so. Joseph, who stayed? Okay, forty-two thirty-six. And Jacob, their father, said to them, "You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more." Okay, yeah. So Simeon stayed behind. Okay, so Simeon was there. Did Simeon stay behind, or did Joseph choose him? I think Joseph chose him. Verse 24, Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So, yeah, he took him. 
He's not one of the ones that tried to save him. Hmm. Just, I was thinking that Judah had volunteered that, but he volunteers in other ways. But I do wonder, because Judah seemed to be a genuine guy who cared about his brothers and family, why would, you know, it almost seems kind of strange that he was in, I guess, he was there in the midst when they all wanted to kill him except Reuben. Hmm. I mean, it could have been just, you know, age difference or, again, a, a spur and maybe he yeah. learned from that mistake and maybe he felt sorrow. I mean, the Bible doesn't record everything, so he could have felt bad that... Joseph was gone. He wasn't just dead. He was gone. Maybe Reuben talked to him and said, hey, I was going back, you know, for him, etc. So we don't really know all the details, but. Unless you wonder where Reuben was at, too, at that time. Yeah. Because he can't, yeah. Kind of like where was Daniel when the three, the three other guys were in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I hadn't seen the point you make about Reuben possibly trying to use it for a a playing chip the tool on the table yeah he's using it to try to get back in with his dad possibly maybe that's his only purpose but judah seems to be using it because he's just really caring about joseph and jacob yeah so the midianites and the ishmaelites (laughs) who's who i got it Uh, go go ahead no, you go ahead. You sure? No, yeah, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so so the Midianites and Ishmaelites are interchangeable through verses 25, 27, 28, 36, and chapter 39, verse 1. Um, I put basically the author doesn't really seem to distinguish a difference between them. He just kind of loosely um, just uses the names. Yeah. Basically, like um, when I was in Florida for a while, I told a girl, man, I hate the name Mark. She's like, what, what's your middle name? I'm like, Bradley. She's like, I'll call you Brad. I'm like, why don't want me called Brad? She's like, well, that'll just be me and your thing. So whenever I saw her, she's like, hey, Brad. And she, you know, give me the gun sit on yeah. and blink and do that. I'm like, hey. And so that was, so, you know. You call her Brad, too? No. no. <laughs> her name was okay. Tracy. But with an I. Her middle name was Brad, though, right? <laughs> be Brad. There you go. It was, it was, but, um, so, you know, her calling, you know, some people call me Mark and, and her call me Brad. It was, it was the same person, but just a different word interchangeably. So I tried to go by Kenneth in high school, but it didn't work because it's just not really me. <laughs> my high school ring, I had you, Ken huh? put on there. I really? Kenneth wouldn't fit, of course, but yeah, put Ken on there. And it's just, I never was called Ken by anybody ever. I was just trying <laughs> to change it because there were so many stinking Davids everywhere. Well, there's a lot of marks too. So I was like, dang, gum it. I thought about, you know, spelling my name backwards, K-R-A-M. Graham. Yeah. So I was like, God, oh, that'll be different. That'll show them. I was I was divide backwards. <laughs> well, there you go. I had an divide English teacher tell me that uh, English or grammar rules don't apply to names. This is my eighth grade English teacher, Miss Morgan. She said grammar rules don't apply to names. You can spell your name S U S A M if you want to and pronounce it David, and that's your name. <laughs> that's awesome. So I, I went through spelling my name a lot of different ways for a while. <laughs> well, I remember um, Kathleen used to work for some doctors, and she told, and the the wife was a female doctor, and she told us an embarrassing story, which was kind of funny. So um, she looked at the name for her patient, and she was like, "I'm sorry, but um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Is it Shady Nasty?" <laughs> and the girl looked at her. She said, "No, it's a Dynasty." <laughs> 
Shit, damn it. <laughs> but it's spelled, if you broke it up, it's shady nasty. So. <laughs> Yeah. So be uh, careful how you spell your name. My my dad had, uh, I think I told you this before too, he used to sell insurance. Two different families had new kids at different times. He goes into one house, they spell one A, B, C, D. He says, uh, he writes it down, he says, how do you pronounce that? He said, absidy. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was enamol. Oh, wow. He said, enamol. Okay, so how do you spell that? And so they motioned to one of the other kids, go get, go in there and get that can. And they bring a can of paint back in. It was enamel. <laughs> enamel. <laughs> enamel, my cousin. That's Absolutely. bad. That's bad. It's <laughs> terrible. Anyway. Names. So, so I would just talk about the, the loose language of the, the author, Moses, just kind of using um, Judges 8.24. Um, I don't know if you want to... I guess we'll go ahead and turn to it. Well, since you said so. I suppose. Oops. Past Judges. Judges 8.24. Judges 8.24. Nope, that's chapter 9. Just kidding. If you got it, go ahead and read it. 8.24, I got it right here. Okay. Good. (laughs) Which one do you really want? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, twenty-four. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you, every one of you, give me the earrings from his spool. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And if you go, um, I guess 22, he's talking about um, he saved us from the hand of Midian. So uh, the Midianites here kind of confirmed as really uh, they were a part of the Ishmaelites. You know, so. Yeah. That was just my thought just him using the uh i don't know if it was the actual different group i think it was just moses just kind of saying one name and then switching off and on well see like the rabbinic notes in my uh jewish study bible here make an issue constantly of an eloistic source and a yahwistic source like there's two different people who are supposedly moses that are actually writing genesis hmm. <clears throat> so from one time they write this account, and then there was another possible account that was written down also. They keep going back and forth between these two sources. I, I really think it confuses and complicates things that don't need to be complicated. Yeah. More like you just now basically proved with it. But they have a, a trouble with it. It is funny, though, if you, you notice this detail right here. So, three different scenarios. The brothers sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. They took him to Egypt. Or the Midianites take him out of the pit and sell him to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. That's so possible. What's the uh, <coughs> what was the, the actual phrase here? Okay, if you start at verse 27. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our own hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Verse 28. Then... Midianite traders passed by, period. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. What verse is that? I'm verse sorry. 28. So the pronoun they, is it pointing back to Midian or pointing back to the brothers? The brothers take him out and sell him to the Ishmaelites or the Midianite take him out and sell him to the Ishmaelites so verse 27 had me raise a question when you read it um, come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand not be upon him for he is our brother our own flesh 
the thing is, the Ishmaelites were still kind of a, considered a brother or a distant relative yeah. of Israel. So you know, the Knights. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Uh, you know, if you study if you study the Edomites and the Ishmaelites, then the Bible often interchangeably calls them brothers or yeah. um, some kind of relative, some kind of um, family. So when you Moab said that, were still brothers, even when they came back out of Egypt, they were mm. still called brothers. So I kind of wonder if the Ishmaelites are relatives of the family of Jacob and Israel. Then and they're saying, you know, perhaps they did sell them to the Midianites, and then the Ishmaelites just came upon them, and Midianites like, hey, we can sell them to these guys. We'll get we'll get double what you know we, you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes any sense, what I'm, what I'm trying to say. My well, number three though is, or the Ishmaelites and the Midianites are the same group. So the brothers sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites slash Midianites. They took him to Egypt. Which I think is the more likely thing. Yeah. But uh, doing a little bit of looking at uh, El Paran, since Ishmael and his mom settled in El Paran, we have to decide where that is. Uh, let's see. Why did we? Why did, why did I get that number or that name? What verse is that in? Where did I get that? <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Help me. <laughs> I think I probably went back and got uh, Ishmael and his mom's story. They settled in El Paran. So where's El Paran or the wilderness of Paran? That's the questionable fact. It depends on what map you consult because looking anywhere, just to see where Ishmael moved to. That's I'm, I'm sorry for blanking out. That's where I got that, though, is the story of when basically Abraham's telling Sarah, or Sarah's telling Abraham, get rid of him. The, the slave boy is not going to get inheritance with my son right. he sends them away they go to El Paran and settle so that's why I was trying to figure out if Midianites and Ishmaelites come from about the same area because we know about where the Midianites were also origin wise but it really depends on what map you look at because Paran's all over the place hmm. but uh, Jewish and Christian scholars place it either in the Sinai Peninsula or a little north and east of the Gulf of Aqaba in the land of Seir, the Horite. So you you picture the triangle, the bottom triangle pointing down of Sinai, and on both sides of that on the map, on the left side is the Gulf of Suez, I think it is, and then the Gulf of Aqaba is on the right side going up the, the uh, Sinai Peninsula. And that's what points straight up under the tip of Israel. On the other side of that going down Saudi Arabia, if you go down a little ways, you end up where Mecca is. Uh, so that's Christian and, and Jewish scholars don't place it as far down as Mecca. Muslim scholars claim that Paran is modern Mecca, period. Hmm. Done. So Genesis 37, 36 says the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar. Then uh, Genesis 39, 1 says Potiphar brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites. Part of this confusion builds to show that possibly the brothers didn't really know what happened to Joseph. So going back to the idea in the, the Jewish study Bible notes, the rabbinic notes saying that if the Midianites picked him up out of the pit, like Reuben didn't know what happened to him, maybe the, the uh, Ishmaelites came along or the Midianites came along, they picked him up out of the pit and sold him to the other group. Mm -hmm. If that happened, then they really wouldn't have known what, what happened to, the, to him. 
Uh-huh, yeah. But I still think it's a little more plausible just to say they're the same people with two names if Midian's group lived in down that area of Saudi Arabia. And if Mecca is Paran, if that's where Ishmael moved to, then he easily mixed with those people groups. And in a sense, they are cousins or brothers of one another, but they're also the same name. Hmm. I mean, they're interchangeable. It's two different names of the same group of people. Hmm. Now, did it say that the Ishmaelites or Midianites were going to Egypt? Uh, Yes. Yeah, okay. Verse 25. From Gilead, taking their chewing gum down to Egypt. Now, I wonder if the brothers were aware of this or if the author is just saying this because of the story that's being revealed to them. The reason why I'm asking is if if the brothers knew that these the these travelers were going to Egypt and you are presented before your brother but you don't recognize him, it just seems kind of weird that it would click that... Your brother was going to this place. Surely you kind of remember somewhat what it looks like. Yeah, but it's been how many years? Right, but I think you would still have some kind of... Uh, Not just how many years, but how many particular years, because he's about, I think, 17 when he's sold. Something, yeah, I think He's 30 there. when he comes to the throne. You change... Those are some very drastic years for actual change. I mean, you're on the end of your teenage years... But you still have a good bit of change to do. Imagine the difference in how you and I looked when we were 17 versus how we look right now. No, that's true. But uh, also, that thrown on top of you forgot about what may have become of him. You realize what y'all did. Maybe y'all still carry some guilt. Maybe some of the group doesn't even give a rat's tail. But you never go down to Egypt thinking the guy on the throne is the one we sold. <laughs> As a, yeah. a slave kid. That's a good point. You you definitely would not expect, even if you did recognize him, like, you may feel like this guy looks familiar, but you probably would but not. This, this is no way. It's Joseph. He mm. was. Yeah. Yeah. He would be sitting on the throne in front of us now. <laughs> That's a good point. We'll see what become of his dreams. <laughs> his dreams. <laughs> and, they, and they come bow down. <laughs> Don't ruin the story. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned Moses too, and there's often I read stuff like Genesis stories about Abraham and Joseph and whatever's happened to these guys. Moses is writing it down, so we may have plenty of things when he says it's called that to this day. Then you got to mark down your mind. Okay, Moses is writing it when, and in his time, it was still yeah. called that to that day. Yeah. No, I think next the next podcast, I'm probably going to send any notes ahead of time. Because when you're talking about the different... You lie. No, I will. I will. <laughs> just just on this portion, because I want you to I want you to do research on it, because I was about to, but it, it kind of, it probably would have been a, a longer podcast, a lot longer. Um, but when you're talking about the sources that you hit, so there's two sources that I was reading about. There's a J source. And I think an source, e. Uh, e source, Yahwistic and Eloistic. Right. Yeah. And one and both both sources, one was circula- circling around southern Israel, and the other one was northern Israel. You know when they when they split, and so there were two copies kind of circling. And what I found interesting was um, on one of the store on one of the copies, um, it's not Reuben that goes back to get Joseph, it's Judah. Mm. So I don't know if someone 
you know melded them yeah or you know like how do you know which one's which because i mean i don't i don't know if it applies that much difference to the story but i think it's interesting you know you have the southern kingdom and you know israel and then you have judah then you know and so did they change the name or did the other group change the name to kind of vanish judah away from you know what i mean yeah so just kind of curious but I was going to send you uh, If the, they changed the name, then where is, tribally speaking, in southern or in northern Israel, where is Reuben? Reuben. Let me look like look at the map. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, across the river. Mm. Other side of the Dead Sea. Hmm. Very southern tip of the other three that are on the other side of the Jordan. Okay. Hmm. So. Hmm, they say, but they give us no point because we don't know. <laughs> They're just saying it's interesting. Yes, that's all. You could do your research if you want to. <laughs> but I'll, I'll send you what I have, what I was writing on that, just if you want to look at it more. It's interesting um, to consider, though, because uh, you have other stuff like, uh, I don't know how to say which one's first in this, but then you have other stuff that is obviously first and second, like, uh, Genesis 22, Abraham and uh, Isaac going up Moria. And then you have that story changed to get rid of Israel in Islam. Yeah. It's Ishmael instead. Mm. That's a good point. And it's, it doesn't make, I've, I've done some research on that little, that section in, in the Quran, and it just it doesn't make any sense at all to change it with its own context. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you change Reuben from Judah, it doesn't really affect the story. The story or the entire Bible or the doctrine, et cetera, just changes, you know, who, who actually went to go rescue Joseph. But I think each one, though, is what we were just talking about. I think each one has a, a point to provide yeah. to the story. Not that it changes the story, but it's a point in saying, uh, why would this guy go back? Well, there is a reason that that one would go back. Yeah, each one had a reason to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there, bring it up. So Jacob deceived and the refusal of comfort. Uh, Didn't spend a huge amount on this, but I'm seeing something more and more that goats are a bad thing. (laughs) Don't have goats, lady and gentlemen. Unless it's goat's milk. No, just looking at because I, I forget where the third place I just saw it. Uh, we'll come to it. It'll, it'll come out. But uh, Genesis 37, 31 through 33. They took a robe and dipped it. I'm not reading it. I'm just reading my notes. They took the robe and dipped it knowingly into goat's blood and deceived their father on purpose. Just like Rebecca took the goat's skins and helped him deceive Isaac years ago. I think we, we've already said this several times, but just want to point it out because... It's just interesting that a goat keeps getting used for deception and trickery. (laughs) But there was something I was ending up, and I won't jump ahead on it, but... Oh, there's something else with goats or a kid that is... Oh, Judah and Tamar. There's a goat exchanged in that. Or Mm. supposedly is going to be exchanged in that. And she's tooking him the whole time. Hmm. Remember, she, he says, uh, she says, what do you give me? She says, I'll send you a kid, a goat from the flock. 
she says, what are you going to give me for uh, a down payment, basically, to secure that? And that's when she takes his staff and his uh, ring and belt. Hmm. But a kid is involved in that. Let's see. But I don't have anything super big to add on to that, except for some reason goats keep getting used in deceptive scenarios. That is interesting, though. I want to look at goats a little more. <laughs> oh, immediately, my mind goes to the goats will be separated from the sheep. The goats will be on the left. Those are actually judged in the end times. Hmm. And that's, of course, symbolic speech for believers and non-believers. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe instead of deceit, believers are deceived, and they are being likened by Jesus as goats. In the in that parable or parabolic speaking right there. Huh. Well, there's some conjugations for you. Yeah, there it is, verse seventeen. I will send you a young goat from the flock, and she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So hmm. Interesting. He did bring the goat, but was Yep, verse twenty three. He was triculated. Interesting. Anyway. So, uh, it's something that keeps coming up to all the pictures that are in Joseph keep layering over around him. Jacob refuses comfort over his son's death, but he is not dead. So, uh, the Jewish study Bible relates this over to Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, this is quoted over, you know, another layover kind of thing. This is quoted over in Matthew 2. It references when Herod killed all the children around Jerusalem attempting to kill Messiah. So a voice is heard. Rachel is weeping. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more except Messiah, who escapes the sentence of death like Joseph did. Joseph appears to be dead. We have this. Rabbinic thinking links this over to Jeremiah 31 when Rachel was crying for her children. And that's future chance, so Rachel was dead and gone, but symbolically her area. Right. Uh, and that's being quoted again as fulfilled in the time of Messiah, when he appears to die, but does not. Hmm. Escapes death. Hmm. So, the line of Judah, mm-hmm. not the lion. <laughs> the line. The line of Judah, L-I-N-E. Genesis 38, and this is, I had thought, like I said, we would skip, but this is one of those times where you can always just go through and do the the names, definitions, and see a, its own teaching point come out by itself. So, you got anything specific you want to do on Judah before... I read a bunch of definitions. Well, <laughs> I just I did do uh, four names in the definition, kind of made it into um, what I thought was a kind of an interesting thing. So you mean go ahead and do that, and then you can follow through. Okay, sure. So I put you know Judas sleeps with Shua, and Shua means a call for help. Um, it has sons Er, Onan, and Sheila. Er means protector or protection. Onan means to be strong and mighty. Uh, and Sheila means petition. So, um, okay. So I'm wondering what 
I can only use what I have, Strong's, which is basically what Lither Bible uses. Mm-hmm. What do you use to get Shua and Ur's meanings? Um, I don't know what. what the, I, so I have different meanings of them. Oh, That's why I'm asking? Um, hold on. Chapter thirty-eight. Which names did you have different for? Shua and Ur. Okay, so okay, so I had the root word. You said to cry out, to call for help. To call for help. Pretty neat there, because as a noun, just looking in the modern Hebrew dictionary, Shua. Mm-hmm. As a noun, it means lord, nobleman, magnate, aristocrat. As a verb, it means to cry out. So what you're saying is it means to cry out, and my definition I came across was it means wealth. Hmm. So here's the odd thing, too. If you spell it out in, in Hebrew, it is the last half of the name Yehoshua. Mm. So if you put Judah, the first three letters together with the last three letters of Shua, which is her whole name, you get Yehoshua, hmm. Joshua, Jesus, which comes from their lineage when they get together. If you put hmm. their names together, you get him. Hmm. <laughs> but the, the odd thing is that Shua on its own means a whole different thing because the end of Jesus' name, Shua, Yehoshua, comes from a, a verb form, Yasha. So it's not actually the root Yasha means to save. Hmm. But I was just interested either way, so just looking up in the modern Hebrew dictionary though, it's kind of funny that it gives you both what you found and what I found. One's noun, one's verb. Err. You said err means Uh Err means protector or protection. Is that what he got? No, I have uh, awake. The root is, if you follow the root down, exposed. Okay, so this is interesting. I'm trying to, you ever try to open an app and all of a sudden jackpot comes up. They want you to play a game. (laughs) And there's no X to get away from it. Um, okay, so I do see I see, I see a, a double meaning for Shua, wealth and riches and a cry for help, um, and it gives a, a scripture reference for the usage of each of the same oh. word. So, um, Job thirty six nineteen. I'll read it while you kind of turn to it and look. Um, It says, Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? So I guess... Cry for help. What is the word strength in that verse? Let's see. Hold on. I can't pronounce it, but it means like property or power. Hold on. What is the the word? Oh, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> oh, K 
K-O-H. Koch? Yeah, so it looks like. For Koach. Koach. Yeah, it's got a little, you see the little dash under the H? Yeah. And you got a dot yeah. above the, the Koch. Mm-hmm. So you have two vowels, so you have two syllables that way. Ah. Okay, so looking her up in the, uh, just some regular Hebrew dictionary. Awake, alert, wakeful, keen, waking, vigilant, watchful. That goes along with the one I had commonly found. What was the what was your, for him? Who, er? Er. Protector, protection. I don't see the, anything wrong with it. So I started with uh, Adilam, justice of the people. And Hiram is a noble family. Shua, wealth. Er, awake or exposed. Onan is strong. The root uh, goes down to wealth and vigor. So strength is related to wealth and vigor. Shila is a petition or to ask for. It's the same root as Saul. So Saul was desired. He was asked for. Hmm. And Saul comes from Shela. Shela. Shela is a, another name from the same root. Chizib is this uh, town. It means false or to tell a lie. <laughs> Tamar is a palm tree. <laughs> There's funny things. She, she reminds me of uh, well, Ashenath, Joseph's wife, but she also reminds me of uh, what was Caleb's daughter. You remember Caleb wanted a victory at Debir, Kirya Sefer. Mm-hmm. And Joseph he, somewhere. He told... Uh, Not just Joshua. Yeah, Joshua. He told uh, the guys, he said, I want a victory here. Whoever does it can have my, my daughter. And her name means trinket or like uh, jewelry. Should be in the very beginning of Joshua. Yeah, I was thinking chapter three, but I might be wrong. Okay, chapter two is the spies. No, it's gonna be in Judges one. There's a there's two stories in my brain always that go together, Judges one and Joshua four. This is one of them. And her name is Not here. It's got to be here. Aksa. <laughs> Aksa is the sound, or the, like the tinkling sound of silver, like of an anklet. Hmm. She's a pretty thing, in a <laughs> way. But I kind of think sometimes of uh, something like Tamar. It means palm tree. Rebecca means you lamb. It doesn't really carry a whole lot of meaning in the story. It's just like, she's she's a pretty thing, and Here's a pretty name. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that, yeah. Like, what was it? Like, Native Americans, like, they would name you something. Oh, you very, you know. Well, like Esau. Red, hairy. Esau. Yeah. yeah. So. But I think in, in Tamar's case, there's a little difference. Palm trees are associated with the righteous, flourishing, Psalm 9 through 12. And the beauty of the bride of the king, Song of Psalms 7, 
7 and 8, and the inner carvings of Ezekiel's temple mixed with cherub's images, uh, Ezekiel 41, 18 and 19. So Tamar, the palm tree, has the ideas of the righteous flourishing, the beauty of the bride of the king, and the carvings in the temple, hmm. in Ezekiel's temple. In Naim, is double spring. Timnah is portion. The root of portion is assigned, ordained, or appointed. So I had actually split these up. I don't know why. They just seem natural to me to split them up. Uh, Adulam, Hiram, and Shua are split up. Next group is Ur, Onan, Shelah, and Chizib. And then the next group is uh, Tamar, and Naim, and Timnah. They kind of go, it kind of builds a story for me too. Uh, justice, which comes from Adulam, justice is a price being paid that's owed. Justice was paid for all people by the wealth of a noble family, the Trinity. Adulam, justice of the people, Hiram, noble family, Shua, wealth. Hmm. Man's strength, let's see, go back, go back to Ur, Onan, Shalai, and Chazim. Awake, strong, petition, false, or tell a lie. Man's strength and vigor is exposed. Those who ask for it, what is rightfully theirs in the world of mankind, are lied to and deceived. The last one, Tamar, the palm tree, and nine, double spring, and Timnah portion. It is the portion of the righteous bride of the king to ultimately arrive within the temple of God. That's where all the palm tree stuff. It is ordained. It is appointed. The springs of the blessings of God will be given to them. Double spring is the one that's like, I don't know if that fits or not, but the more I thought about it, it's kind of like double spring or springs is a concept that does come in the Bible. Every time you look up springs, spring or springs, you got to be careful that you're not getting a verb for it springs up. <laughs> but whenever you see springs of water, it's always blessing. The, the places I saw tomorrow, the palm trees, mm -hmm. or just palm trees, it's always a blessing. It's always a good thing. So just mm. just kind of neat things there that come out just simply of the names in, in Judah's story. Mm, interesting. But not possibly any uh, content there, but what we've both decided to see. Just being yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just pretty much a breaking the Joseph story and kind of gives some details about Judah's quick life uh, to, I went through and highlighted some of the bank notes just to read them quickly instead of copying them in my own notes uh, these are all these notes are simply about uh, Genesis 38 so independent of the novella of Joseph a number of verbal and thematic connections to the Joseph story and also forward there's some other stories that go forward still past or forward in the same story Judah's loss of two sons and reluctance to surrender the third foreshadows the tragic situation of Jacob, who will soon lose Joseph and Simeon, so it appears to him, and he will refuse to surrender Benjamin. The use of a disguise in pursuit of a purpose that conforms to the will of God recalls Jacob's deceit. And that's, in, that's referring to uh, verse 14 and 15. So she took off her widow's garb, covered her face with a veil, and wrapping herself up, sat down at the entrance of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up, yet uh, she had not been given to him as wife. When Judas saw her, he took her for a harlot, for she had covered her face, so he turned aside to her by the road, here let me sleep with you, for uh, he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. 
and then they go into the whole deal about the kid uh, yeah. being exchanged. But a kid plays a key role in deceiving a parent again. I didn't catch that wording. A kid being a kid goat. <laughs> a kid plays a role in deceiving a parent. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tamar's offense when she becomes pregnant is not prostitution. It's adultery. They didn't. They weren't mad about her being a prostitute because that wasn't considered. It wasn't known that she would have played the prostitute part. They were upset about her in adultery. Adultery is is a false charge because she didn't really do that. She's actually forcing Ju, uh, Judah's hand to take care of the Levite marriage law. Even though it's not a law yet by right. what we think of as law, it was still a common custom in the culture. And he was not taking care of that. She was making a petition to give me Shalah, which means petition. And Judah was not giving him up yet. Hmm. So she's enforcing the Levite uh, law, which is why they think that she's done adultery, but it's a false charge. Which we jump forward and Joseph is thrown in jail because of a false charge of adultery. Hmm. By Potiphar's wife. Uh, adultery is the false charge in the next chapter as well. Examine these. Verse 25. Examine these is identical in the Hebrew to please examine it in the previous chapter. So let me read that right quick. Uh, 3825. Bring her out, uh, said Judah, and let her be burned. And she was being brought out. She sent his message to the father-in-law. I am with child by the man to who these belong. And she added, examine these. Whose seal and cord and staff are these? So these correspond to Genesis 37, 32. If we go back to 37, 32. They had the ornamental uh, tunic taken to their father. And, and they said, we found this. Please examine it. Is it your son's tunic or not? Hmm. And the little... A uh, point they make here is, uh, let's see, these are in fact the only two instances of this expression in the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the whole, uh, the Torah, which is Moses' five books, the Ketubim, the writings, and the Nebu, uh, Nevi'im, which is the prophets. So the whole Old Testament, completely, this is the only two places that phrase shows up. <laughs> and both of them are kind of a deceit being revealed. Let's see, verse 26, Tamar's actions are justified in Judah's eyes. She actually ensured the family line of Judah was preserved. If it hadn't been for her, Judah's two sons were dead. His third one, he didn't want to give to the woman he had to give her to by the law, by the cultural yeah. reasoning. So his line was going to end. He was poor Shalah, too. He's going <laughs> to grow up. And <laughs> uh, this is one thing I saw in the, the notes right here, that Ruth, a book with striking similarities to Genesis 38. That's kind of how that section ends. I haven't gone, because it ties it together because of Perez, hmm. but I have not gone and examined Ruth with this this particular chapter. That'd be an interesting study. Hmm. Ruth is an awesome little book anyway. We can't go to Ruth after this. <laughs> we can. <laughs> I th actually, maybe when we finish the Joseph story, we'll be at the end of Genesis, and Ruth would be an interesting place to go. It, it does follow Judah. It goes from it jumps from Perez here. At the end, it gives us a lineage, so we could kind of cap the lineage there. Okay, that'll work. And then do that, but 
Uh, Ruth is one of those kind of like Song of Songs, uh, Song of Solomon, whichever one you want to call it, that has, depending on if you are, <laughs> if you're Jewish or if you're Christian, which interpretation you want to go with. Yeah. But uh, I, what I've heard, the, the interpretations all apply, all easily layer over the story. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I got two more short pages. Just some, some neat things to see. The two houses of judgment against Joseph and Jesus. Did you notice that? Mm. Again, they keep popping out more things I've never seen before. Just in just reading it again and just taking notice. Genesis 39, Genesis 40. These are about Joseph. Joseph was taken as a captive to Potiphar's house. We picture him brought in chains. He was judged by this authority figure not to be an average man, but to have God with him and raised to a level of authority himself. Genesis 40. Joseph was taken as a criminal to Pharaoh's jail. We picture him brought in chains. Genesis 41. He was later judged by this authority figure to have God with him and raised to a level of authority himself. Hmm. Jesus was taken as a captive to Pilate's house. We picture him brought in chains. <laughs> He was judged by this authority figure not to be an average man, but to have God with him and proclaimed innocent. <laughs> Jesus was taken as a criminal to Herod's house. We picture him brought in chains. He was judged by this authority figure also to be innocent. He is raised by God himself to a level of authority. Just <laughs> two houses apiece, kind of yeah. almost like the, the Gentile government, or the, the government outside of what we would consider Jewish, even though Joseph is not really Jewish yet. But... A Gentile king or nation hmm. or authority. Yeah. Two different houses judging each huh. to be not average, to be God with God. Huh, interesting. And, and, and raising them up to different levels of authority. When you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of a thing he didn't do. And then on the other side of Jesus, you have um, Pilate's wife doing the opposite. Hey, have nothing to do with this man. Yeah. He didn't do anything wrong. Huh. It's almost a little bit of a. a I didn't. Uh, I didn't go into that one because I, I saw this right quick and I just wrote it down. And then it was like time to go to work that day. <laughs> so I went to work, but I had main thought. But yeah, yeah. there's probably a lot more. Uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, Pilate's wife. What else you see? Is there a baker and a uh, cupbearer in Jesus' <laughs> picture? I don't think so. In Herod's house. Mm, yeah, but we don't know anything about him. We don't want to think about him? Herod? <laughs> <laughs> How accurate do you think uh, Mel Gibson's portrayal of Herod is? Because it sticks in my mind. I really see him that way. He's very, yeah. When I noticed that, it was, it was he was different. Can't really put my eye because he was very colorful, I guess. Yeah. Very uh, flamboyant and just kind of party guy. And, very rock star. Yeah. So every yeah, I I, I kind of picture when I read about him, Mel Gibson's portrayal. Yeah. Of that kind of guy. Makes me wonder where he got that idea, but that's how I picture him now, and uh, all the the freaks and loons around him that are basically <laughs> just. Maybe just having a wild drinking party 24-7. They wake up and start partying. <laughs> and it probably could be. Yeah. I did a devotional and referenced that recently, but 
think I made the, the thing that struck me most was uh, the two things in the room that were in chains were the most dangerous things there. <laughs> the leopard and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Three sets of dreams. That was interesting to me. It's something I wish it was mine, but it's something else I saw in the Jewish study Bible notes. Okay. The rabbinic notes. Because uh, it references... Where did I see it? Yeah, the, the notes around 41. I started reading this much. Joseph dreams, or Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams and becomes uh, vizier. Verses 1 through 32 deal with the last of the three pairs of dreams in Joseph's story. The dreams of Pharaoh. And, and when I read that, I kind of stopped reading the notes and I went back and started looking at the dreams and realized I had missed that there was any correspondence. But there's two sets of dreams that Joseph has. Mm-hmm. There's two sets of dreams that Joseph interprets, the cupbearer and the... I always want to say the candlestick maker. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the candlestick maker. You know where that comes from, right? It's like a 1980s, late 80s or early 90s rap song. I must have missed that one. <laughs> what was the it? candlestick uh, maker. The baker... And the cupbearer. No, I mean, in the song, there was something else. <laughs> the song, okay. It was something that rhymed with Baker, the, 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 the maker, the baker, and the candlestick maker, or something like that. Oh, my goodness. Huh? <laughs> but I always, when I read uh, Baker, I always think, cut, no, no, candlestick maker. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the candlestick maker and the baker in this story, <laughs> they was rewriting the Bible a little yeah. bit. Well, that's what we've been doing the whole time anyway, Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> Uh, and so the last two are, of course, Pharaoh's dreams, and Jacob is interpreting those. Hmm. But I just went through and noticing who is doing what, because it started leading me to think, uh, kingship stories. Okay. So that's about where I stopped right there, the first couple of sentences of the notes. I didn't want to read them and tell me what to, what to look for, so I went looking for it first, then came back and read those. But uh, Joseph's first set of dreams were interpreted as kingship dreams where he was lifted up to be like a king. He just told the content of the dreams that they were interpreted by his brothers and father. You notice that. He didn't tell them what they mean. Hmm. He said, I dreamed this, and they jumped to conclusions. Hmm. But, yeah, well, I mean, not to spill beans, but what you, you know, some of the things you and I have talked about before, somebody says something to you, and you say, I think he meant this. Yeah. And I say, oh, it sounds like he might have meant this. It's your ears hearing it, but when I'm hearing you retell it, if I try to take inflection out of it, yeah. your voice inflection, and just say, if he literally said those words to you, then maybe he just meant this. Yeah. Or it's like an email or text. You can read into something. Just Why should Jerry bring anything? <laughs> or why should Jerry bring anything? <laughs> why should Jerry bring anything? Where the emphasis is. <laughs> so, uh... That's Genesis 37. Genesis 40. These two dreams uh, from within Pharaoh's jail were dreamed by two others. They told the content, and Joseph interpreted. One is lifted up by the king. One received judgment and death hanged on a tree. Uh, something I read later on is, the uh, back in the, the rabbinic notes, was that the first two dreams had the same meaning. The last two dreams had the same meaning. The middle two dreams have opposite meanings, just presenting blessing and, and judgment. <laughs> so uh, Genesis 41, the last set of two dreams 
were both dreamed by Pharaoh. He told the content, and Joseph interpreted. He was lifted up by the king to be like a king. There's there's tons more to see in that, I'm sure. I was seeing this as I was getting ready this morning to go to work, and it's like all I could do was just write down. It's like <laughs> it's, it's it's deeper than I can I can walk right now. Yeah. But one thing I thought was odd was uh, we had looked at uh, Hene, which means behold or look. Look over here. Look at this. We looked at that when we talked about Joseph's dreams. And at first, the actual literal, or excuse me, the, the well, yeah, a little literal. The literal English translation into the English word behold is five times in Joseph's story. His two dreams first. The Pharaoh's stories... Of his two dreams, it's also five times. So Joseph says, behold, behold, behold. And then he says, second dream, behold, behold. Pharaoh says, behold, behold. Then he says, a second dream, it has behold, behold, behold. So it's three and two, and then two, two and, three. and three. And then in the the candlestick maker's dreams, <laughs> there's nothing there at all. They, <laughs> they don't have that word. So I go looking just to, I was going to count just to make sure I was counting it right. I look in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance and look that up and just consider whatever's happening in Genesis 37 completely. That's Joseph's two dreams and story. It's not always translated as behold. It shows up many more times in the story, though, five more times. Hmm. So it shows up ten times in the story of Joseph's dreams. Hmm. It shows up no times in Genesis 40 with the other two dreams. And then Pharaoh's dreams, the word shows up 12 times. So I was asking Hayson on, on the way to work. And I was just telling her what I had just found. Walk out the door, we get in the car, we're going to work. I said, what is 10 in the Bible? So that's the law. Basically, what do you think of? Ten Commandments. Right. That's God's perfect law. What is 12 in the Bible? It's basically God's established government system. Old Testament, it's Israel. It's the 12 tribes. It's the foundation of the New Testament government system, which is the 12 apostles reigning in the church by spreading the message. Mm -hmm. The church itself is God's actual government system in a way. Hmm. It's his established system. So if you put them both together, uh, it's this perfect law established system. All that is encompassed in the story of Joseph coming to power. Joseph, okay, now I was just telling her, so take all these things. We talked about it for a few minutes, but take all these concepts that are rolled together. God is basically saying, Hene, behold, look at this. Consider this. My, in this one man, my perfect law in a system of ruling and, and governing. <laughs> we take all that, we wrap it up, and we say, okay, Joseph. Now take Joseph as a picture and put him in Jesus. And God is saying... When he gets baptized, behold, my son. Who I'm well pleased. Who I'm well pleased. Behold, look over here. Consider this. And this one man Hmm. is my perfect law, and my established system is coming through him. Hmm. 10 and 12. But that's... (laughs) That's cool. I just look at that thing, wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. It's, It's odd, though. You look at sometimes, and you'll look up a particular word you're going to try to follow that word and like behold let me see i'll just look it up and read some of the examples
just going to Genesis 37 to grab behold okay 37 7 behold we were binding sheaves so I click on behold hene it means behold lo see if I'm going to go down to 37 what basically gives me a, a list at the bottom right here that just scrolls on and on and I can click into Genesis 28, 29, 30, 31, 32 it's all over the place so in Genesis 37 verse 7 is translated as behold 37, 9, behold let's see 37, 13 and Israel said to Joseph here I am are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem come I will send you to them and he said to him here I am which means which is Hanay or behold look at me huh. I'm ready I'll go and 37.15, a man found him wandering in the fields and asked, uh, and, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? Where's behold? Yeah, I see that. It's hidden. Wow. It's maybe we should say it's hidden what God wants us to see, because <laughs> it means to see, and it's hidden. That's crazy. Genesis 37.19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Behold, here comes this dreamer. It's implied, yeah. yeah. Implied. Huh. Let's see. 37.25, then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, bomber, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Once again, it's just not translated behold, but it's the same word. Reuben, uh, let's see, 37.29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Forty-one, one. After two years, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Where's behold? <laughs> That's crazy. So next verse, forty-one, two. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. So, like I said, with springs, though. I told you before, though, every time a preacher ever says, this word shows up 93 times in the Bible. I I'm sorry. I'm not listening anymore. I'm looking it up. <laughs> <Counting. laughs> Making sure, verifying what you're saying. Well, I mean, also, if it comes up like uh, you say, springs occurs 192 times in the Bible. You look it up, and 45 of those times is a verb to spring up, and it's just translated in English as the same word. But hmm. it's nothing related to the actual concept he's trying to get across. Hmm, that's interesting. But in this sense, a lot of times that word is, is there, but it's translated out because of implication. So you have to be careful, you know, what you count sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I never would have thought to look or search for that. Now I want to be more careful in my searches and examine <laughs> Well, like I said, somebody will look up something to make a point, and they'll utilize something like that, and it's like, there's, the point you're trying to make is not there, because you didn't consider that the point you're trying to make is is 11% of the times the word shows up in English. Right. And I guess, I don't think we, we say this often enough, 
you, the listener, you are as a believer, you don't have to read Hebrew and study Greek to go to heaven. <laughs> but there's some doctrinal things that are really screwy in English translations. Yeah, and depends on who translated it. That comes that comes out. And like the study I was doing recently on translations, we don't have very many uh, witnesses, meaning separate witnesses telling the story. That meaning independent translations that went back to the actual Greek and Hebrew to translate it into modern English. We have almost six versions, basically. <laughs> yeah. Most majority of them are coming off of the King James, off of the ASV, the RSV, which are all coming from the King James. And the King James is coming from the Westcott and the... Yeah. Not the Westcott. Was Geneva uh, Bible. Yeah. Hmm. There it is. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Two Spies podcast. If you would like to join in on the conversation, go to numa.life and leave a comment. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Music, or whatever app you're listening on. For additional articles on faith and life, visit numa.life.